I te tīmatanga ko te kore, ko te pōnui, ko te pōroa, i āhaha. Wehena mātua, he ringa tāngata, he toa rangatahi, he toa rangatira. Whaka ki te maunga, tai ki te whenua, huki ki te rangi, tai ki te pukerunga, i āhaha. Pikiake, pikiake, kite arapautama, kina tau matatanga, e wairua, hine naro, tinana. Owe, 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 hi. E nga hoe whā o te motu ki a koutou nō tā wāhi, ko tēnei te wāhanga o te ahikā ko marae rakraku a hau. Nau mai hoki mai anō ki te hōtaka nei a te ahikā. Welcome to Te Ahikā, your weekly fix of everything Māori on Radio New Zealand National. Just like Auckland owes its creation to the generosity of Ngāti Whātua Rangatira Apihai Te Kawau, it was largely due to the generosity of Rangitāne Rangatira Reti Mana Te Koro that the town of Masatin was created. Here's the question, if that was the case, why aren't they called Te Kawau and Te Koro? Anyway, that's a kōrero for another time. Komato of Ngāti Kahununuki Wairarapa Iwi Authority Nelson Rangi explains his dual Whakapapa heritage as he's descended by both those founders. Joseph Master's grandson, Joseph Irons, and uh, Retimana Takoro's granddaughter, Mere Whakamairu, uh, they produced a daughter, Mary, who was registered as Mary Irons, and was born. She was born, I think it was in January of 1877, and uh, she was my grandmother. Nelson Dungi, he'll be joining us a little later on. And how's this for a reality check? Sometimes we get so caught up working, buying things, driving here and there and living, we can forget the simple things. Um, Baba's name? His name is Uta Tefanga. Ooh, uta Ai. te whanga. Ai, uta Ai. te Johansson Ripia hyphen McGregor. <laughs> and he just, yeah, he's the best thing that we've produced ever. Musician Mina Ripia, she's coming up. And before that, I put my skinny, and I mean as in kore, or virtually nothing knowledge of rugby to the test, in an interview with New Zealand Māori coach Jamie Joseph. Stay tuned. Ko te mea tahi. Over the past two weeks, the English and Irish teams have been treated to the Māori All Blacks, the New Zealand Māori Haka, written by Kapahaka legends Ngāpō and Pimia Wehi. And one person who's been watching pensively from the sidelines has been their coach, Jamie Joseph. In the hierarchy of coaching positions, yep. is the ultimate to coach the All Blacks? Um, I guess it is, yeah. I think now the game's professional. Everyone has different... Um, ideas and ideals of what the ultimate would be, but uh, certainly for a New Zealand rugby coach, one would assume that coaching the All Blacks would be the ultimate. Now, you were appointed the Māori All Blacks coach in March of this year. Yep. Um, and when I was looking through research about your life, and you came to prominence, say, when you were playing for Otago in the 1990s. Now, there's a quote here from the book... Beneath the Māori Moon, an illustrated history of Māori rugby by Malcolm Mulholland. My father, Jim Joseph, was a Māori All Black, and all the time as a kid I wanted to be just like Dad. The Māori team was the team. I actually got into trouble over that attitude when I was playing for Otago in 1991 under Laurie Maines, and he blew me up for putting the Prince of Wales game before the Otago team, but I didn't care because I wanted to get selected for the Māori All Blacks. Once I was in the All Blacks, though, the Māori teams always came second. I didn't like that. I mean, is that still the case? Well, I can only I can only speak of how I felt and and what the Māori team meant to me. Um, and the reason that it meant so much to me is because uh, my father obviously was a New Zealand Māori All Black, but never made the All Blacks. So when faced with the opportunity to play for the Māoris at the age of 19 or 20, I think I was... Um, 
I had to make a sacrifice. And the reason I made that sacrifice is because <clears throat> making that team was always the ultimate for me. Um, I think in some cases it's still the same. Um, but as I see, I can only really speak for how it felt for me. And has that changed now that you're a coach and you're the coach of the Māori All Blacks? Well, once again, I mean, I made the Māoris in 91, so that's nearly, <laughs> it's a long time ago. What's happened between then and now is footy players have become professional rugby players, which means they get paid to do it. They play a lot more rugby um, at that level than, than we ever did. And clearly their priorities is about professional and priorities about being the best and priorities about making money out of the game. That wasn't there when I was a Māori All Black. So it's not really comparing an apple with an apple. So I know that the boys um, who have played for the Māoris and also play for the All Blacks really enjoy um, and love playing for the Māori All Blacks. However, um, it would it would be natural for them um, to want to pursue an All Black career over a Māori All Black career because it can be... Uh, more prestigious um, in social circles, um, in rugby circles, then obviously they will make um, a lot more money out of it. Do you not make money as a Māori or black? Uh, I think the guys are given a, a sum of money which is very limited on the basis that they will play for the Māori All Blacks. So, yeah, I mean, the direct answer that they do make money, but they clearly make more money being an All Black. Right. So there obviously has been an impact in the change of rugby when it moved from amateur to professional. Absolutely. What that's meant to Māori rugby is that we have been reprioritised um, in many ways um, on the basis of what drives revenue. Um, so whilst it's important to our to our game and for our people, um, it's not necessarily um, ranked as high as it has been when rugby was amateur. And, and, and you can see for commercial reasons why that's so, but that's probably as far as I get to understand it. Um, sure. Because that's not in my realm of expertise. You know, when you're playing rugby, you come up through the provinces. So do you start identifying very early potential players? Well, when I played for the Māori All Blacks, uh, television coverage was uh, minimal, but there, um, which basically meant that access to our players... Um, and access to our players that would be available for the Māoris would have to be done on foot. So so coaches would have to fly around the country and and have a look at you. But now the Super 14 players um, and the fact that rugby's professional and it's widely televised, it's, there's a lot of resources getting in to monitor and analyse uh, rugby players and rugby teams. You can pretty much pick a team from from home if that if that if that needed to be the case. Um, some of the multi tournaments that are held um, during the Super 14 are tournaments that we visit to, to I guess, increase our depth of, of, of rugby player. But quite honestly, the majority, if not all of the team, will come out of the Super 14, which basically means it's limited opportunity for anyone outside of that on the basis that there are better players available. So you could have some undiscovered fantastic player playing somewhere who will, who isn't in the Super Fourteen. I mean, I mean, technically that's correct, but one would have, one would thought have thought that all the provincial unions, development academies, um, identification um, scouts, have identified those potentials that you're talking about and have, have put them into the system, so to speak, into the provincial union system. And out of that comes um, selection into the provincial union team, which comes selection into the Super 14 teams. Um, I think we're, 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 we've got a huge representation as Māori rugby players in the Super 14, which is great. Um, What's huge representation? In terms of percentages of, of players. The reason why I can get it, I'll pick my team in the Super 14, is that as Māori we're highly represented in terms of percentages in the Super 14, which means we've got a lot of good rugby players playing top-level rugby. Um Indirectly, what that has for our younger generations is awesome role models that they can look up to and see that um, our people are, 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 um, are becoming really good. They've been identified. They've always have been, and this is the good thing about it. This is what we're celebrating this year, 100 years of rugby. Um, good role models to, to aspire and to become like them. Um, Jamie, do you think that on your rise to the top that someone can end up losing 
te taha Māori? I think what I can comment on is some of these players might not have the taha Māori based on their upbringing. Sure. And therefore the Māori All Blacks, and in many ways this is going to be a great learning experience and a, and a great way for me to then once again relive what I've lived as a rugby player but as a rugby coach is the taha Māori side of things where we get brought up in different aspects and different ways from all over the country, but we're still Māori. A lot of our players are like that. So then becoming and being part of this team and being surrounded by everything Māori, one of the biggest reasons why the players, and now I'm talking about some of our all-black players, uh, want to play for this team. Has that always been the case? Uh, I mean, it was for you. It was for me, um, but in the taha Māori side of things, there's a lot more emphasis these days. I mean, 15, 20 years ago, you know, apart from Waiata after and, and our haka, um, we didn't learn a hell of a lot about the Māori uh, side of things. We have kapa haka every, every evening. Um, we use it to drive our leadership. Um, the understanding about where we've come from, I mean, it's a special year. It's 100 years of Māori rugby. Um, we all know about George Nepia, but do we really? Um, mm. Do we really? And I, and I mean that sincerely. I, I know that George Nepia was a good rugby player, but I'm not sure I know where he came from, what he meant to, to Māori people at that time, what he stood for. Um, these are the types of things that I want to learn about. Um, and then if I, if I want to learn about, I can only, I can only help and see that. Why, why wouldn't the players want to learn about that in terms of driving where we come from, where we need to be in the next 100 years? Because clearly, um, because of professional rugby, we might not be here. <laughs> Well, I'm a, I'm a rugby coach, Moriah, so what my role was to coach the team, um, to give them technical and tactical expertise to go out and beat a couple of international teams, which are pretty pretty hot at the moment, England and Ireland. What the role of our Māori board, our advisory board, is to, to drive everything about what you're talking about So they're about the ones here. that, that yeah. come, come up with the tikana and the expertise that you can tap into? Well, what they do is, on behalf of Māori rugby, is advise the NZRU about the reasons why and how... Um, Māori rugby should be present and continue to be present in, in the New Zealand rugby calendar. Um, it's their job, I guess, is to um, challenge challenge the rugby union and make sure that Māori rugby stays here for another 100 years. So how does it feel then to be celebrating 100 years of Māori rugby? Uh, it does feel hugely responsible, to mm. be fair. Um, I, I, but for the reasons that I talk about now, it's a, it's a year where everyone's looking um, it's it's also comes in a time where um, it's been used in many circles as a, a way of showing awareness of what's happened before us outside of my control and, and the control of anyone um, in the last 20, 30 years but it does give rugby and non-rugby people an awareness of how things were, how things should have been and how things are now um, so in that respect, I, I think it's it's a it's a it's going to be a great year. Um, my job, coach, is to make sure that we can front up on the field and and make sure that the performances on the ground can hold can hold us proud, uh, win, lose or draw. Do you ever get sick of it? Uh, yeah, but you've got a whanau. I mean, does it take you away from your family? Yeah, it does. I mean, look, I'm a I'm a professional rugby coach. I've coached Wellington for the last three years. Um, you can get sick of you can I don't get sick of uh coaching. Um I get sick of certain aspects within within coaching, but I think everybody gets sick of certain aspects within their job. It is my job. It's um but this is this is actually good because this is this is totally different. Um I mean I coach a team with a huge population of the side is made up of Pacific Islanders and Māori and Pākehā, so um where where this job is obviously um Māori only, so different challenge. Expectations are there, and responsibilities, man. I mean, I'm assuming that it wouldn't take much for someone to come up to you and hit you up about what's happening with the side. Yeah, I mean that's happening all the time. I mean, you get pretty thick-skinned in many ways about the rugby sort of things. Is, is that um, the game's relatively simple? We, we've got some awesome rugby players out there that I need to put together in a week's time to play an international side. That won't be easy. Having said that, um, that's the hand we've been dealt, and and it's the hand that the team's been dealt. So that's what we'll get on with. And but I'm 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 very confident that we can be a really good rugby side in that short amount of time. Play positive rugby, and certainly set um, a standard for young Māori to aspire to.
Now, in many interviews, you've spoken about um, Laurie Maines and Gordon Hunter being mentors. <laughs> Moving into the Māori All Blacks coach position, how how does it feel to be, you know, moving yeah. in with Matt Tapau? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, well, Matt Tapau was um, also coached me as a player in the Māori All Blacks. Um, three different coaches, um, but all all were very disciplined. Um, Laurie through his um, his way, uh, Gordy I guess through his um, his uh, Laurie's through his way as an ex All Black and a, and a Targo rugby coach who coached well over ten years for Otago. Gordon Hunter through his learnings um, in the police force um, and being a detective and then obviously Matt through his learnings of um, of growing up and and where he grew up and as a Māori but also part of the army. So all very disciplined coaches and demanded that from their teams but also or certainly in Gordy and, and Matt's um, also a very balanced um, approach to the team where outside of rugby um, players felt comfortable and relaxed. So you take a little bit from here and there, but you're emulating your own style. Yeah, I mean, I'm not a Matt Depa, I'm not a Gordy or a Laurier, but 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 anyone that learns from such talented coaches as those guys will have snippets of their their ways. Um, and then you know, I guess my my challenge is to put it all together and turn it into a Jamie Joseph style of of approach to a team. The variables I'm doubt are you know um, top class rugby players, short amount of time, so there won't be a lot of technical. Um, coaching going on because, you know, within three days we'll be playing our side. Do you think the Māori team should have a permanent fixture for international tours? It's a it's a quite a simple question, but the answer to that has got so many um, different things to consider. So that would be nice. But if I could answer this question in this way, the, the, the New Zealand rugby professional rugby players have got a massive calendar with regards to their Super 14 commitments, which is the basis for their salary. In, uh, in conjunction with the All Black commitments, if they're All Blacks, and if they're not All Blacks, with the in New Zealand Cup or the ITM Cup, which is the national championship, which is the competition that I coach in. So outside of those two competitions, there's not a big window for a standard overseas tour. On top of that, you you obviously need teams to play. So reciprocated in many countries is exactly the same program. In England, they have the same sort of commitments to domestic competitions. Um, in Australia and so forth. So if you wrap up all the competitions which supply the players with their income, there's not a big window. Right. Um, so what's happened in the past is, is, as we know, is the Māoris have travelled to Canada and America and the like and have won the Churchill Cup many times. And the reason they do that is because um, we're able to send a quality team of top-line players. Unfortunately, the depth of rugby in other countries over the world... Um, and because of the constraints they have them for, from professional rugby uh, competitions, they are, they are not able to send their best players. What that ends up and look like is that the Māoris go overseas and beat everyone by 50 Trumps points. Everyone. Mm. So uh, whilst it would be nice to say that, you know, it would be nice to send the Māoris to Canada and play in those tutorial camps, what you, what you find is that if it doesn't add any values to, A, developing our rugby players and, B, holding, holding it against good teams, then the players get no value out of it. And then the New Zealand Rugby Union get no value at sending the players. So that's the big challenge. Would you like to see the New Zealand Māori team play a New Zealand Pacific Island team? Yeah, well, um, probably one of the hardest rugby tours I've toured was touring the Pacific Islands in 1992 where we played two games in Samoa, two games in Fiji, two games in Tonga. And uh, physical, hot, hard rugby. Um, we've played those guys on a regular basis. But once again, similar challenges. I mean, Samoa, Manu and Samoa have got their game international circuit. They've got IRB and World Cup qualifying games. And I, and it's really just comes down to what's available, who's available, and the time slots available. Why is the um, the 1990s looked at as the golden age of rugby? Maybe it's because that was the year where the best rugby was played. I'm not sure. That <laughs> right, because right. even everything I looked at around Otago, and that's when you were playing, it's, it's kind of termed as being the golden <laughs> age of rugby. And in the book, yeah, 1990s, oh, golden age of rugby. I think um, I don't know the answer to that. I, I know it was the golden age for my rugby career um, because for two reasons. The generation of rugby player that I played in, which was between the late 80s and the late 90s, well, I went from the late 80s till the 2000s, which is a 14-, 15-year career. Half of that career was as an amateur, where I learned all the values um, about a rugby player, and those values were learned in Otago, where very traditional white values, 
down down of a hard work work ethic um, because of the population of of the rugby player down there. Then then what happened is there was an influx of us because we all went to university yeah. there. We had a lot of Maori players in that team. Stu Forster, Paul Cook, John Temu, myself, Aaron Penny, um, all and we were all all blacks. So. Um, we were able to influence and put our own flair on the team with those coaches that you mentioned prior. Um, but we had learnt in an amateur. Oh, their eyes must have been popping out of their yeah. head. <laughs> like an influx of um, Māori players from. Yeah. I think the team that I got selected in 89, there was uh, Aaron, myself, and John Timu. Um, but when I left in 95, there would have been uh, well, Mike Mika was Samoan. As I said, Kupu Vanessi, Aaron Penny, myself. Uh, Josh Cromfield, Stu Forster, Stephen Bishop, John Timu. Yeah, it was a, it was a, it was a <laughs> pretty proud few team. A few darkies there, <laughs> eh? So, uh, you know, I'm renowned for an Otago side. But what that did is give us a, um, in, in that time, we all we all started in Otago as amateurs. We didn't get paid a cent. We had no money. We all lived in the flat. And, uh, you know, if we had enough to go out for tea on a Sunday afternoon because we had no more food in the fridge, that was great. <laughs> and then... Then obviously for the second half of our rugby careers, we're able to um, earn professionally from the game, which was, which is something that would. So we got the best of both worlds, I guess, is what I'm saying. And then you went to Japan. Yeah, well, I personally decided to go to Japan when rugby went professional in New Zealand, and, and ended up living there for eight years. So uh, was that, that a was, culture shock? Yeah, it was a culture shock at the start, but um, any challenge like that, you have to embrace it, I guess, and. I learnt the language and got into it. And um, did you get homesick? Yeah, you get you get what we used to label Japanese sickness. You just get sick of everything over there, and mm. you just got to get out. And um, but the company was very good to to Mandy and I, and, and we used to come back two or three times a year and spend a couple of months every year at home. So we got plenty of time. I guess at the end of the day, we knew we were going to live there forever. We knew that we were there for a reason. Um, and we knew that when it, it, it went, when that when that finished, we'd come home and and everyone makes sacrifices in their working lives to get ahead. In my third or fourth year in Japan, decided to seek a bit of quality football and uh, got got selected in the national team and and um, along with six other Kiwis and off we went to the World Cup, which was bizarre considering the previous World Cup we played a final for for the All Blacks in South Africa. This one uh, we're with a Japanese side, so but good good experience all the same. If you could describe your World Cup experiences, what would be some of the words you'd use? Uh, the All Black experience would, would have been intense. Um, it would have been um, determined to win um, at any costs. It would have been sacrifice and commitment. Um, conversely, with the Japanese team, would be to um, individual pride, do my best, and enjoyment. So, and the reason those those sort of attributes or those adjectives are different um, because you're not going to win the World Cup. So you're out there for different reasons. You're out there to go in and compete on a national or an international level, knowing that you're not going to win um, every game. Um, that your goal is to win a game, not not every game, um, just on the basis of your team versus the opposition you're playing. So quite different, quite different um, campaigns. And I enjoyed both of them a hell of a lot. The Japanese one was so different uh, because of those reasons I say. So your father was a Māori All Black. You're a, you've been a Māori All Black and an All Black. Are you hoping your son follows that path as well? Yeah, I think it's a natural. Uh, I think it's natural to to, to to hope that that your son follows in in many ways. I hope he doesn't follow in all the ways I followed. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, you know, I mean. Things are different. He plays rugby and enjoys his rugby. I just hope he, I just hope he learns some of the things. The thing I like about rugby, and the thing why I continue to like about rugby, is it's, um, it's not an individual sport in the sense that there's something bigger than yourself. It's, it teaches you how to get on with other people, how to work with people that you don't get on to get to a common goal. It teaches you to work hard. It teaches you to be committed, to make sacrifices, all those sorts of things that uh, team sports do. And, and if my son can experience those, and my daughters can experience those sorts of things, well, they'll only be better for it. What are you um, picking for the World Cup next year? Are you looking forward to it? Yeah, I'm, I'm personally looking forward to because that's going to be a massive, massive occasion for New Zealand. I don't think we actually understand how big that really is going to be. Mm-hmm. 
that's going to put a lot of pressure on our team and it's going to put a lot of pressure on on the All Blacks. But I think the fact that we've got a home advantage will, will help us a hell of a lot um, because we're used to everything here. We, we, we won't be... Um, international teams are going to be used to a, a lot higher level of accommodation, higher level of training, higher level of everything. They, they probably won't get there because we don't have those facilities. The All Blacks are an ageing side. I, I, I think they'll do it, but they've but the signs will be this year, uh, I think, going forward to next year. Minaripia and her partner, Marka McGregor, have been creating music for years. It's a matter of who she hasn't worked with, really. She was a moa hunter with Moana, was part of the Ōtaki-based group Iwi, and then there's the Kapa Haka Electronica Fusion that is Y100%. Justine Murray caught up with Mina at this year's Pau Pau Pau. Ko ngā puhinga te kahununu, ku iwi, no Dargaville ahau, te taha toku papa, no Waipawa, te taha toku mama. What have you been doing over the last um, few years? My partner and I, of music and life, Marka McGregor, we had our first pepe. Aye, and he's two years now, so we basically have had a really um, fantastic musical life together with 100% our first kōpai, and um, so we thought, you know, the, the, the next best thing that you can do in life is have a whānau, and so we we planned our little boy, and and so we've just been mama and papa. For me, this um, event, Pau Pau Pau, is for me uh, the first time for getting back on the Atameda since having baby. So my mind is a bit there and has been since he's come into the world. And so, yeah, so we have been very fortunate to have um, been given all these opportunities, like you say, everywhere in the world, love what we do and love the language and love Māori, tikanga and everything. So, I mean, you know, they we've just had the opportunities because of the kōpai to, to travel and share our music with these people and it's, it's for me it's um, quite special because the music was created for the memory of my papa as, you know, as he returned to Hawaii anyway, so, so the, it's really different the industry for, for us is really different to a normal band you know because we about, find you know YouTube these days <laughs> yeah we find it's, it's, the, it's the music that um, speaks for itself you know, and so we just be ourselves because that's what um, people around the world love, and and so we just we rode that wa- way for a good ten years, and we've just um, like had our had our first baby, and um, his name his name is Uta Tefanga. Uta Tefanga. Uta Johansson Ripia Hyphen McGregor, and he just yeah he's the best thing that we've produced. Ever, mm. so because um, for a long while um, music was your baby. I, you know, Marka, you know, yeah. and for That's people right. who perhaps haven't seen you before, Minna, um, you usually um, you've, you've, you've worn um, like metallic colours on stage and twirled poi yeah. and sung in, in thirill. Yeah. Well, just just you know, just um, taking our traditional waiata to a, a different level and and through the dress as well, you know, because overseas they love you seeing a unique look and and then yes we use the poi and patu in our as our movement because that's what's unique to us is our kapahaka styles and stuff so rather than try and be a Beyonce or or even with our movement you know we we do what we love and what comes from the heart which is patu poi and wayataringa type movements and stuff like that, and the kākahu as well. You know, we we mix, we fuse the the moko with with um, PVC and you know <laughs> fabrics that are Quite just contemporary really of the yeah, times, eh? Yeah. Kapai. Um, now, Mina, it must be great to um, be somewhat reunited with Kimo Kiel yes, in the iwi yeah, days. Yeah, definitely. Definitely, and it's it's it is great to see Kimo and Keelan and, and share the Atameda with them again. Because you know, I looked up to Iwi. They were in, you know, they inspired me to do what I am doing today. So I, yeah, I look up to Kimo and, and Keelan and all of the Iwi time. And I had 
had the opportunity to be an iwi for a while, yeah. why um, Gaynor was gallivanting around the world and, and now Gaynor is a part of why. And you did backup vocals for the likes of one and a Moahantas? Yes, in the day. Now, I, now I'm showing my true age. I, um, I think I was 17 when I first got into the music industry through, through Moana and the Moahantas and, and then I did my first solo song with Southside of Bombay, which is the song that I'm performing to at Pau 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 and um, and it's just it's just been a snowball and it's just continued to grow and grow and now with the whānau as well we hope it, hope it will continue because we really love music and yep. sharing oh, yeah. music with, with all peoples and you've just got the one bubba Yes, You're looking yeah. to extend the farm now? No, no. It took me, took uh, Mark and I have been together for twenty years, so it's taken me twenty years to to bring him into this world, and he's 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 perfect, mm. and and so um, yeah, and then we've just released our our second kōpai. Yeah, we just released it on our son's birthday, May thirteenth, as part of a New Zealand Music Month. That's what, that's what I mean. We've been out of the out of the loop and stuff, and so we um, yeah May thirteenth we re- uh, launched our new album called Ora Wai Ora at um, Te Papa. Kapai. Mm. And how many tracks are on the? Is it an LP? Oh, yeah. I, ten, ten, ten waiata, um, written by um, people like Nuki Takau, Kiri Takau, um, Joe Williams has written a couple, and um, Pati Umanga. He's written one, and different friends and whānau have written them. And we originally, uh, Mark and I wrote some from our journeys around the world, but those ones didn't make the album, right. this particular album. So, yeah. Well, um, Amina, I certainly look forward to Wai Ora. Um, watch out or look out for that um, album. Is it available um, in stores or is it mightymusic.com? Uh, yeah, it's gonna, we're actually going to release it into the stores in June. Amina Repia, thank you so much for your kōrero. Namahi atu kia koe e mana. And stay tuned, Iwima. We'll be reviewing their album, Waiora. It drops this month. In spite of being 81, you could hardly say that Nelson Rangi has retired. He travels up and down the country as the chairperson of the organisation representing the interests of his iwi, Ngāti Kahununuki Wairarapa. To that role, he brings the diversity that is his heritage as a descendant of Joseph Masters and Rangatira Reti Mana Tikorau, the two main men when it came to establishing Masterton. Justin Murray finds out more. Yes, I'm a Wairapa born and bred, and I lived my early life in the Wairapa. I've been away in the Bay of Plenty for many, many years and have recently returned to, uh, I guess you'd say, take a leading role in the affairs of Ngāti Kahunganu, which is uh, one of my iwi, uh, as well as being um, a papa to Rangatani iwi as well. The building we're in, which is owned by Waiapa Moana, and that is uh, an incorporation as well as uh, a trust. The incorporation is the commercial arm of the uh, operation. The trust looks after the social and cultural well-being of the descendants of the original owners of Lake Wairapa, which should more properly be called Wairapa Moana. I'm chairman of uh, Ngāti Kahungunuki Wairapa, which is the Iwi Authority uh, under the umbrella of Ngāti Kahungunu, uh, the total Iwi itself, which stretches uh, from the bottom of the North Island, uh, that's at... Um, uh, from Cape Palliser right up to the north of Mahia. It's Vast the, area. Yes, it is the largest uh, land area, uh, largest rohe uh, in the North Island, and the second only to Ngaitahu in the South Island. Well, you talked about um, Ngāti Kahungunu Kiwararapa. Yes. So it's a totally different um, entity and organisation to Wararapa Moana. That, that's correct. Wararapa Moana associates itself uh, um, most of the people belong to that. In fact, I would say all of them uh, would whakapapa to Ngāti Kāhunganu. You know, there's a couple of stories uh, about the history of the Wairarapa. Joseph Masters, uh, I, I was walking down the street this morning and I come across a sign of the founders of, of the town of Masterton, Joseph Masters and Tereti Mana uh, Te Koro, who was a chief of um, Rangitāne. You whakapapa from both of these men, don't you? 
Yes, that's right, and I have, I guess, my, me and my family hold a rather unique position in that respect. The beginnings of uh, Masterton and also Greytown were occasioned by, in, in the 1840s, when Joseph Masters um, felt that there were too many of the large landowners uh, and uh, buying up large quantities of land, and there was little little chance of the small person having any property of their own. He formed what was known as the Small Farms Association and um, went to Governor Gray and said that he had this vision of being able to set up a community of small people who could own their own acre of land and if they owned a lake of, an acre of land that they would then be able to uh, to be able to purchase, say, 40 or 50 acres of rural land. Uh, Governor Gray said, if you can obtain that land, then uh, I would support your association. Uh, Joseph Masters came into the Wairapa. He had been uh, travelling bags and forwards into the Wairapa, and he had uh, become um, uh, acquainted with the principal chief of the area, Retimana Takoro, and after a number of um, discussions, he was able to, uh, Retimana de Coro agreed uh, to make available something like 25,000 acres so that uh, masters would be able to set up these uh, communities. The first one he set up, uh, they called in honour of uh, Governor Gray, they called it Greytown. And the second town immediately after that he uh, laid out, and uh, so the people who were took up uh, sections in that, decided they would call it Masterton. And, um, and so Masterton grew from that. The how did, sorry um, to interrupt on. you, um, Nelson, how did this Pākehā man befriend a chief, a Māori chief? Well, of course, in those days, uh, you, either, you either befriended Māori chiefs or, or you might, might have uh, suffered... Uh, not the way John Keyes uh, <laughs> mentioned, <laughs> but um, uh, people uh, really had to because because Maori did own all of the all of the area, and uh, most of the uh, Europeans uh, needed to be able to fit in with the Maori owners, the Maori population. What, what kind whole. of man was um, Tiritimana? What kind of chief was he? He was uh, was was a quiet man. He had been a um, a colleague, uh, a contemporary of Nukupewapewa, who was uh, uh, a major fighting chief of the area at that time. But he was um, more of a uh, conservative fellow and very, very well respected over a fairly wide range. And um, after Joseph Masters had explained his vision to him, uh, Retimana had said, if this man is... is, uh, of, if his is word, yeah, of his word? Of his word, then... Uh, I would agree to releasing the land to him for that purpose because Joseph Masters said that if they brought in people like this, then they would bring it, be bringing in Western culture, Western goods and Western trading and uh, uh, schools and all of the various services that go with them. Uh, Retimana, uh, who was getting old by that time, uh, said to his son-in-law, Ihai Fakamaru, he said, uh, go with Joseph Masters and uh, help him to achieve his objectives. Yes. So, Nelson, you're in a unique position that you, um, your genealogy or your your whakapapa is from both of these men. That's that's correct. Yes, and that's one of the, one of the new, unique positions that my family finds itself in. Joseph Masters' grandson, Joseph Irons, and. Uh, Retimana Takoro's granddaughter, Mary Fakamairu, uh, they produced a daughter, Mary, who was registered as Mary Irons, and was born, she was born, I think it was in January of 1877, and uh, she was my grandmother. She married the son of another principal chief of the area, uh, the chief I'm referring to is Hoani Rangatakaiwaho, whose lands and influence were more around the Greytown Papawai area in the South Wairapa. And um, Hoani's son, Hare Rangatakaiwaho, 
married Mary Ons. Uh, their son, uh, Frank, who took the name Frank Rangi, so they rather had a son? than Rangitakaiwaho. Yep. Frank Rangi was my mother and my father. Your father? Yes. So uh, me and uh, my cousins would be the only family that, that uh, fuck a papa back to both the uh, founders, shall we say, the joint founders of Masterton, that's Joseph Masters and Retimana Takoro. Your siblings, and your, you said there's not many of you left? Not so much siblings. Uh, I, um, the family of uh, Mary Irons and Hari Rangatakaiwaho consisted of um, a six-grown um, family, and uh, three of them were sons. They, they didn't. Uh, they weren't terribly prolific, and all up, I suppose we only had about eight, well, eight, eight nine, nine, I think, um, of family altogether over the, over those lot. And uh, there's, I think, there's only three of us left now. But you would have grandchildren or the next generation oh, coming yes, up. Yes, 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 yes. yes. Uh, it all, uh, <laughs> it, it all, <laughs> it all went. Um, went with a rush after that <laughs> but I'm talking about my yeah, generation, generation yes, of course. Uh, since then of course yes. I've, uh, I've had a family they've had a family and they've had a family yep. so I now have, uh, have several uh, great grandchildren uh, one of them is, in, um, is going to college this year so. Has anybody been given the name? Britimana? Y- uh, no but uh, my youngest grandson uh, his his name is Hoani Rangatakaiwaho, mm. and for uh, that name uh, that name is being perpetuated within the, within my family. What do you mean perpetuated? Well, it's uh, the Hoani Rangatakaiwaho. The original one was my great grandfather. Yes, and uh, so a number of generations down, the name has popped up again. It had it had also popped up in um, in, in another uh, one of uh, my more distant relations. One of them had a son they called Hoani Rangatakaiwaho as well. You know, you, you did mention when we did our introduction that you spent a number of years in, in the Bay of Plenty, and now you're here back in the Wairarapa. Do you feel a sense of duty now that you're back in this area because you've got such strong whakapapa to the area of, of, of taking up or taking your iwihapu to the, to the future? I don't think of it as a, as a duty. I think of it as uh, something that I was, um, uh, I was bound to do. I, um, in my lifetime, and I, believe, I often quote that I've had several lives because I had a number of occupations. I've been in business and uh, I've um, been in, in industry and, and um, I've retired about 20 <laughs> years ago and I've retired every year since then. But, um, you just can't keep, you just can't no, keep still. We... No. <laughs> but it is of only recent years that I felt that I needed to uh, find out more about my iwi connections and the opportunity arose when I was invited to come back to, uh, to chair... Uh, the Waiapa Moana Trust, uh, that I took the opportunity and have, have come back here and catching up with all my relations. And every week I'm finding new relations. And uh, <laughs> after I've spent something like five years as chairman of the Waiapa Moana Trust, I've now um, become chairman of the Waiapa, at least the Ngati Kahunganu Ki Waiapa. Uh, which is an iwi authority within the Ngāti Kāhungunu uh, overall, overall. Uh, iwi. So is it, is it like a journey of discovery for you in some It senses? is. It is. It's, uh, it's, it's discovery all of the time. And I now regret that I didn't uh, take the opportunity to learn more about it before, and particularly the uh, Tereo, because I came in here and when somebody would say something to me, and I don't know whether they are asking after my grandmother mm. or want to know whether I want another sandwich. But I'm learning it very, very slowly. But at the 
at my age now of um, 81 years old, I'm finding it a little bit difficult to to retain or to, to learn these, a new language and uh, to retain some of their memories. So do you come from a corporate background, Nelson? Like a corporate business background, not well, so much Māori? it started as a corporate of one. I started my first business at the age of 20. Uh, I bought a I bought a uh, a large truck and set up as Nelson Rangi heavy haulage, and I carted things like bulldozers and large and bulky loads, and just about anything that wasn't tied down. And um, I did that for several years until the time when the the government started pushing through the uh, Rimutaka rail tunnel. They had a review of transport licences and um, as rail was a protected industry, uh, some of us uh, were then prevented from carting over the hill and uh, I did not have enough other work to keep going so it was time to get out and, and go and do something else. What, did you do some study? To... Yes, I studied and became um, studied engineering. I, I, um, Started off with a boiler ticket to an engine driver's ticket, became a um, a, a marine engineer, and then studied um, uh, as a um, with the British Society of Engineers in the mechanical field, <clears throat> and uh, I spent quite a few years studying various things such as transport management. I've got a diploma in that, and and so it goes on. Yeah. But uh, later on, I. Uh, I bought um, I bought into some other businesses, contracting, earth moving, and construction. Construction. Mm. And uh, on the way, you had a family. Yes, yes. I've got <laughs> three daughters and one son. Yes, yep. and uh, most uh, yeah three of the, three of them are in Kaurau, and one lives in Australia. And of course, they've all got families. Families and and some of them have got families. <laughs> Having retired from Waipa Moana itself, and, right. and there's another group of people, and I'm concentrating on Kahingunu, Kahingunu uh, Iwi matters. Uh, I'm on the board of the um, Ngati Kahingunu Iwi Incorporated, uh, which is the main uh, body of Kahingunu, and um, so there are meetings in Hastings and Napier and around there. Quite a lot of my work is travelling. So do you quite drive by yourself? Yes. Oh, yes. should have a personal driver. <laughs> <laughs> it must get quite hard. I mean, tiring. Um, yes, although I... Um, You're pretty sturdy. Um, yes, I, I enjoy driving and I've got a comfortable car and uh, I find it quite relaxing. The um, My early life, of course, was in the in the Wairapa itself. I was brought up where... Uh, we farmed in the Piranor district. My mother uh, came from a German family, and uh, so I was brought up as a New Zealand-born German, I guess you would say. Wow. Which was a little bit difficult um, go, growing up uh, through the Second World War when we were at war with Germany. And uh, being of, uh, of German descent, I had to field a certain... Uh, <laughs> animosities <laughs> from some of the others and this was the same sort of thing that happened with my mother and her brothers and sisters during the First World War Right, because Joseph Masters no, your, your mum was German Yes, yeah. yes, yes Was that a difficult period going through that? Well, I, I guess that um, yeah, some funny things happen and people's emotions uh, get very close to the surface particularly during war particularly when their sons are away Fighting, but then again, uh, some of my uncles and uh, one of my cousins, uh, German uh, with German names, her name was Bush, spelled B U S C H. Bush. Bush. Uh, several of those uh, fought both over in the um, in Europe and in the islands, so uh, we did our share as well. But that still doesn't stop some people from venting their their concerns mm. of somebody of like nature. Kia ora, Nelson Rangi, no Rangitane me Nati Kahununu.
For photos and to listen to today's and past Tiahi Car programs, head to our webpage radioNZ.co.nz forward slash Tiahi Car. And for updates on the show, you can subscribe to our weekly newsletter. Email us at teahika, that's T-E-A-H-I-K-A-A, at radioNZ.co.nz. Next week, I'm with Vic Tamati. You may recognise the voice. He's the Samoan man fronting the It's Not OK violence prevention campaign. And then Nazi Kahununu Wahine, Miriana Pittman, talks about her work in violence prevention in Hawke's Bay. We open this week's broadcast with the words from Timatanga, the haka performed by the New Zealand Māori All Blacks. Here, Jamie Joseph, their coach, explains what the haka means. Iti timetanga, kote kore, kote ponui, kote poroa, wehinga matua, heringa tangata, he toa rangatahi, he toa rangatia. Fakaki kite maunga, taiki te fenoa, hokiki te rangi, taiki te pukurunga, pikiake, pikiake, kite are potama. Kinga Tomatanga e Wairua Hiningaro Tinana. In the beginning there was nothing. The big darkness, the long darkness, the separation of Rangia and Papa, form, man and people, formation of young warriors, formation of young chiefs. If you aim for the mountains, you will hit the plains. If you aim for the sky, you will hit the mountain peaks. Climb high, thrive, to the pathway of knowledge, to achieve excellence. Spirituality, mentality, mentally, physically. Kia ora, I'm Jamie Joseph. I'm from, I'm from down in Blenheim, uh, from Waito. I'm from Rangatani and Ngāti is on my mother's side. Our marae down there is, is Waito. My father is from Tikawiri, um, Ngāti Kina Haku Maniapoto, and marae is Oparure. Kia ora. He mihi tēnei ki a mātou kai kōrero i tēnei wiki, anō nei te mihi mai o hā ki tā mātou kai rā wiki wiki mihini. Ko marae rakaraku a hau, hoki mai hei tērā rātapu, mauri ora tātou katoa.